We're talking about I Have a Dream. It's very appropriate that we're talking about that on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. But there are several characters, uh, both in and out of Scripture, who were and have been given a dream, or dreams. And these dreams from God um, required the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to equip them and to kind of enable them to pursue that dream. We're going to look at some of them over the next few weeks, and today we're going to start with a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Daniel. We'll get to that in just a moment, but before we do, I want to talk to you about road signs for a second. Part of driving in life uh, requires that you pay attention to certain signs, right? Well, not necessarily me, but for you, uh, you need to pay attention to signs, right? We teach your kids how to look for certain road signs and, and uh, pay attention. So what we're going to do for the next uh, couple of uh, seconds here is I'm going to put some road signs and have these folks help me put them on the screen. And all I want you to do is give me a positive or negative reaction to when you see these signs. I'm sure that everyone here has seen them at least once or uh, twice in life. So here's how we'll do it. We'll do thumbs up if you have a pretty positive reaction. And we'll do thumbs down if it's kind of a negative reaction. Okay, everybody with me? All right, the first one's a little tricky, so make sure you read it right here, okay? The first one is this, okay? Minimum speed, 45 miles per hour. Positive or negative, okay? All the positive folks are the ones who want you to get out of the way, okay? I love this sign. I think it's amazing. There's a minimum speed limit that you need to be going, and it's probably not what you're doing. How about this one, image two? Yeah, right. Uh, I love when you find that perfect parking spot. It's wide open. I, you don't know how it's wide open, but it is. And then when you pull in it, you know why it's wide open. No parking anytime. How about this one, a little tricky? How do you feel about it? Yeah. I was out of town for the New Year's, and I kept hearing about how it apparently snowed in parts of Florida. I don't know if that was true or not. And I heard about how people from up north were giving us such a hard time as Southerners because we're making a big deal about it snowing in Florida. I just want to say to those folks up north, please don't make fun of us. When it snows in the south, it's rare. It's kind of like a northern school winning a college football national championship. <laughs> you can send that to all your... Northern friends. One more. Here we go. Positive or negative? Detour ahead. Yeah. Wow. I don't know very many people who feel very good about this sign. But that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. I want to talk to you about dream detours by looking at the life of a guy in the Old Testament named Daniel. Nobody probably in the Bible understood better what it was to have a dream detour than this guy. As we begin, I want you to picture Daniel in your mind. I want you to imagine with me one of the brightest and one of the best in all of Israel. We actually know a pretty fair amount about what his picture would look like from verses 3 and 4 in the first chapter. He was from a family of very high social status. Scriptures say he was physically flawless, strikingly handsome. If one of our longtime members here, Teresa O'Brien, were giving this message, she would tell you to picture the actor Sam Hewen, 
He plays this character on TV, Jamie Frazier, that all the women seem to be very, very fond of. Apparently, Teresa thinks he's strikingly handsome, although I want to tell you I saw him one time, and he's very short and very, very pale. So think of Daniel as Sam Hewen. Oh, is Teresa here today? There she is. This is how passionate she is about this. Okay? So think of Sam Hewen, except not as pasty and short. Okay? That is Daniel. Daniel was very bright. It says he was qualified to serve in the king's palace, which means he had a high level of what we would call today street smarts. But more than anything else, Daniel was devoted to his God and to God's purpose in his world. What I want you to know is that Daniel would have had all the dreams that young men in Judah had. Back in Judah, his, really his success and his life would have been very predictable. He would have went to a great school, went on to glittering success in whatever field that he chose, probably have a great marriage, live in a great home, wonderful family. He would occupy a prominent place in the temple. He would certainly do great things for God and God's people. But what I want you to know is that Daniel's life did not turn out at all like he planned. There are two phrases in the opening part of Daniel's book and Daniel's story that describe a world of hurt. The first one is when it says King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it with his armies. A world of hurt in that statement because God had made a promise all the way back to Abraham. He said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. I'll give you a promised land and we're going to make this new community we're going to bless the whole world through you, Israel. And admittedly, they had a lot of ups and downs in their life, Israel did. Remember, they went to Egypt, they were in slavery, they were delivered by Moses. Eventually, they enjoyed such a peak time during the reign of King David and King Solomon. And then there began kind of a long, slow decline. The kingdom was divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom, which was eventually destroyed. And all that was really left was a southern kingdom they called Judah. And when Daniel was just a young guy, a guy comes along named Nebuchadnezzar, and he conquers them. And with very little effort, he kind of destroys all that what seems to be left of God's dream. The temple was destroyed. The sacred contents were now preserved in the temple of pagan gods. This meant that Daniel would come to adulthood and spend his life in a foreign land. He would give all of his service to an alien king. He lost his culture. He lost his relationships. He would live and die in a place that he never intended to be. The second key heartbreak verse is found a little bit later. It says the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Daniel and his friends lose their names. And that culture, friends, names was and still is a huge issue. Each of their names had a reference to God in it, either an L on the end of it or possibly a Ah, a Yahweh. Both of them referred to a name for God in the Israelite culture. Their names reminded them that they belonged to God. And the new name that Belshazzar gave them was a way of saying, listen, Daniel, you have a new king now. You have a new allegiance now. You're going to have to allow Babylon to define your identity, to determine your dreams in life. So the question for today is, what do you do when life doesn't turn out like you thought it was going to turn out? 
What happens when your dreams get detoured? Maybe it happens in a relationship, a marriage. Maybe it happens when the greatest vocational dream that you ever had just kind of dies and withers. Maybe it happens when somebody you love wounds you very deeply and betrays you. Maybe it's when your kids finally grow up and they keep disappointing you over and over. Maybe it's when you realize that a prayer that you've been praying for a very long time, a prayer that you cherish, is not going to be realized. This is the season of life where you find yourself in Babylon, cut off from the life that you had planned, and you realize for some reason this dream you have may not be realized. Worst of all, at some point in this process, you will ask, does God even know and even care about this dream anymore? I assure you, Daniel had these questions in his mind. Yet Daniel did something extraordinary while he lived in Babylon. Daniel thrived. Daniel thrived. Specifically, we get a glimpse of how Daniel was viewed not only by his own people, but by even foreign rulers he served under. We hear this more than once in the book of Daniel. Let me just read one particular passage, Daniel 5. It says, The Spirit of the holy gods is within you, talking about Daniel, and you are filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. Now this is amazing. All my life, I have been taught that the Holy Spirit did not come until the day of Pentecost, over in the book of Acts. You know the story, Acts chapter 2. I mean, there would be times when the Holy Spirit would seem to come upon some Old Testament character to kind of accomplish some task or purpose of God, but it seemed to be very fleeting and very random. But in Daniel's story, it looks consistently like Daniel is filled with God's Spirit. He's walking in the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit, and he's sustained by the Spirit. Simply put, as Jack says in his book, the book Fresh Air that we're reading, Daniel has the Spirit for the long haul. The Spirit was in Daniel for the full journey. And because of the Spirit's presence and work in Daniel's life, he was able to navigate these detours with incredible confidence, incredible poise, and endurance. So here's the question for us today. Can we walk in the Spirit with the same kind of discipline that Daniel had when we face detours? What I want to do is look at really just a few questions that Daniel faced in his life, and they're the same exact, same exact questions that we will face in our life. When detours happen to our dreams, our plans, whatever they may be, we'll ask ourselves these four questions. You might want to jot them down. The first one is in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. When your dreams are detoured, will you still honor your deepest values? When you're detoured in life, will you honor your deepest values? In other words, will you refuse to live as a passive victim of circumstances beyond your control? Will you refuse to live as a passive victim of circumstances and say to yourself, I don't have any control over this? Now what this involves is not getting tangled up in things that will cause you to betray your deepest values. There is a turning point in the book of Daniel. It's found in chapter 1, verse 8. And really, it's the whole turning point of really the whole book. Because up until verse 8, 
It is the Babylonians who have determined everything. Up until this verse, the Babylonians have been in the driver's seat. Nebuchadnezzar determines to conquer Israel, and he does. He determines to cut off the most sacred objects, and he does. He determines to take captive the potential citizens, and he does. He determines to enroll them in the leadership academy. The dean of that school determines their names, determines their new identities, and even the menu that they will eat from because they'll now eat rich food from the king's table. And the easiest thing, follow me here, the easiest thing for Daniel to do was to feel like this is just a, out of his control, he's just a passive victim. It's just forces too, way, too, too big, way too big for him to fight against. In life today, we would kind of say this is about the time that we have a pity party. But from verse 8 on, something very powerful happens. And the writer shows this in a very colorful way. The writer repeats the same verb three times. A kind of literal rendering of verse 7 would be this. The chief of staff determined new names for them. He determined Belshazzar for Daniel and so on and so forth. And then look at verse 8. But Daniel determined not to defile himself with rich food. Now this is powerful. The same verse, verb gets repeated over and over and over, except this time it's Daniel who's determining. Daniel the prisoner, Daniel the captive, Daniel the Israelite. And the writer uses a real strong word for this. The word could be translated, Daniel resolved in his heart he would honor God. Here's what he does. He goes to the dean of the school. He says, listen, everybody here is eating beef, eggs, and cheese. They're on the Atkins diet, and I'm a slim fast kind of guy. Now, it doesn't really say necessarily why Daniel did this. Some people kind of think maybe he was violating ceremonial laws. Maybe it was offered to idols. You know, it was coming from the king's table. It's not completely clear, but it's completely clear that Daniel knew that it was something he shouldn't do. He had to stand up. So he determined something. Daniel says, I'm going to remember my real name. I'm not going to feel like this is outside of my control. Daniel resolves in his heart. Now, watch what he does here. The Spirit strengthens Daniel and gives him wisdom enough to go to the dean of the school. He says to him, I want to go on this kind of veggie platter diet. The dean of the school says, look, here's the deal, Daniel. If I say yes to you and you end up looking weak and you like energy, then the king is going to have my head. And Daniel thinks to himself, well, that's not really a yes, it's not really a no, so let me go down the ladder a little bit. So he goes down a step down the organizational chart, and he proposes to one of the guards. He says to him, let's try it. For 10 days, just let me eat the way I want to eat, and then you guys be the judge. See, this is what the Spirit does. It gives you amazing courage and amazing initiative and insight and wisdom and understanding. The end of the story, of this part of the story, is pretty simple. In verse 16, it says, The guard is so impressed with what Daniel looks like and how, he, how much energy he has and how Daniel is that he takes steak away from everybody else and puts them all on the veggie platter. I'm sure they were real happy about that. Not only that, but he kind of elevates Daniel to the head of the class. But it only happens when Daniel was up against forces 
that are very powerful, and instead of feeling like he can't do anything about it, he resolves in his heart, and he says, no matter what happens here, is I'm not going to betray my values and commitments to God. So here's the question. Is there any place, any place in your life where you have decided to just give up and just give in because you are a victim of outside forces? That's a tough question, isn't it? Some of you are here today and you have seen yourself for weeks now as helpless victims. Maybe decisions that other people made that affected you. But God, today, on this Sunday, is calling you to walk like Daniel. To be courageous and resolve in your heart. I will not get detoured from my dream by giving in and thinking that I am just a helpless pawn in the circumstances of life. Everybody in this room will live in Babylon at some point in your life. I promise you, you will. And many people will say, well, I will get to know God better. Or I'll get involved. Or I'll live with a positive attitude. Or I'll build into the life of another person. Or I'm going to seize life by the throat then. If only I weren't this. And if only I weren't that. And if only my season of life weren't so demanding. If only I hadn't had kids and blah, blah, blah. That's what our world does. It tempts us just to think, this is it. There's nothing better. But if you'll say, you know what, I will not hand over my life. I will not hand over my dream. I will not hand over, no matter what it looks like, I will not hand it over to any person, to any relationship, to any job, to any boss, to any habit, to any outside force. I will resolve in my heart that I will honor my God. I promise you, you will find the same strength and the same spirit that strengthened Daniel can strengthen you. That's the first thing. The second question that Daniel has to ask himself is this. When your dreams are detoured in life, will you refuse to live in isolation? People who face disappointments usually realize that facing life alone becomes a life or death deal in their life. For Daniel, he found not only solace and comfort and strength, but he really found part of his calling in a little small group that he formed with some other guys called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were kind of like one of the first life groups in Scripture. These guys went to school together. They certainly studied and prayed together. They faced decisions together. As you know, they'll one day face the furnace together. They would help rule in Babylon together. And mark my words, when you get to Babylon, you will not survive. You will not survive, let alone thrive, without people who you are connected to. Julia Siegel is one of the primary researchers in the area of resiliency, of overcoming adversity in life. And he writes this in his book. He says, few captives suffered more than Vice Admiral James Stockdale. Stockdale served 2,714 days as a POW in Vietnam. On one occasion, his captor shackled the legs and arms, or his legs and arms, and left him in glaring sunshine three blistering days in a row while guards beat him repeatedly to keep him from sleeping. After one beating, Stockdale heard a towel snapping out in a code that the POWs had devised, a message that he would never forget. 
It was simply five letters, G-B-U-J-S, God bless you, Jim Stockdale. Siegel writes that for those POWs, the greatest and the briefest experience of community, of being connected, literally became a life and death deal. This is kind of crazy, but where community is so difficult, people will move heaven and earth and risk everything for it. And when it is readily available, we often don't even devote an hour a week to it. Friendship and spiritual intimacy and deep connectedness, friends, don't come easily. You have to fight for them. Sometimes people will say to me, well, I don't want to let other people know I have problems. Are you kidding me? People know you've got problems. You live in the same place they do. You live in Babylon. Everybody has problems in Babylon. Just take a deep breath. Just say, I need somebody else. One of the diseases that is rampant in Babylon is loneliness. And you must fight it at its root. And the root of loneliness is a lack of spiritual connectedness with other people who love you and who love God. So I would just say to you, try, try, try as often as you can. Make it a priority. Put it on your calendar. There are people in this room right now, right now, ready to give up. Give up on their dream, give up on some part of their dream. What would it be like for you to say to them, hey, I need you, and for them to say, hey, you know what, I need you. God bless you, I'm praying for you. No, 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 I'm praying for you. See, that's part of what being the community of the church is, is we just say to each other, you know what, I really do need you. When you get to Babylon, this will be one of the greatest battles you have is not to live in loneliness. Third question, this one's huge. When your dreams are detoured, will you maintain a sense and a spirit of humility and servanthood? If you read the book of Daniel, one of the things that you will notice is there is a contrast in this book between two men. One of them is Daniel, and one of them is the king that he served under, or at least one of the kings. This guy we met earlier, King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the one who overthrew Judah. He was the one who took Daniel into captivity. But this interesting thing happened on the way to Babylon. Not only did Daniel experience a detour of his dream life, but something else happened, and it's summed up in verse 37 of chapter 4. At the end of chapter 4, the very, very end of chapter 4, there is one sentence, and it's a very important sentence about this king, Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 4.37 ends by saying, he, talking about God, is able to humble those who are proud. Now, I want to leave the scripture up for just a moment. I want you to think about why is it that God seems to place so much emphasis on pride? Why is it in Scripture that God seems to have such intense feelings about pride? One of the answers, I think, is because our world does not. <laughs> I have worked 
for 30-something years now in church leadership and pastoral ministry. I have had people come to me for problems of depression, anxiety, doubt, addictive patterns, lying, anger management, so forth and so on. I have never had one person, one, come to me with an appointment that says, Phil, I really need to talk to you about my pride. My ego is out of control. Go to any self-help bookstore, any self-help bookshelf on a bookstore. Bring back to me the number of books about developing humility. It is amazing how prevalent it is in our lives, especially, especially when you get detoured from the dream that you've imagined for your life. Follow me here. The story of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 begins this way. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Now think about this. Every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever. His rule through all generations. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. Now that doesn't sound like a lot of pride. But what Nebuchadnezzar is about to do is he's about to tell his story. I want you to understand the setting for this story. Nebuchadnezzar had a kind of a habit of looking out over the city that he had built. I don't know if you know this, but what he had built was really kind of a record achievement unparalleled in human history. Babylon, which is the capital city of his empire, was the site of so much building under Nebuchadnezzar that it literally takes 126 pages just to record the inscriptions that were carved into the buildings that he had constructed. Try to imagine this. Try to imagine conquering the known world and then essentially with only human labor. Listen, there's no machinery. There's no technology Try imagining designing and constructing its most renowned city. How many of you have heard of the seven wonders of the ancient world? Heard of that? Yeah, back in school. Maybe the most impressive of all these ancient wonders was the hanging gardens of Babylon. These are thought to have been constructed by Nebuchadnezzar. Interestingly enough, he did it for a homesick wife that he had. He had achieved in our day, what we would call the good life. And the question is, did Nebuchadnezzar think that he had a problem? Yes or no? No. He says, I was content and prosperous in my palace. But the real question is, is did God think Nebuchadnezzar had a problem? And the answer is yes. See, when I suffer from pride, I tend to be the person that's most blind to it. So God does something very interesting. He launches Nebuchadnezzar on a detour that will be very long and painful. Nebuchadnezzar is not going to be in a battle in his entire life like this battle because this battle is going to be for his soul. Now we're going to pick up this part of the story in verse 5 of chapter 4. One night, I had a dream. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking. 
One night I had a dream that greatly frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed, so I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. At last, Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. He was named Belshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. There's that statement again. The spirit of the holy gods is in him. The king realizes there's something different about Daniel. Now, for the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize this dream and the interpretation of it. It's a very strange dream. At the center of the dream is a great tree, the tree of glory. And it kind of represents Nebuchadnezzar's life. Everybody looks up to him. The tree is visible to the whole earth. And he receives constant praise and admiration and recognition. Everybody depends on this tree. The tree provides food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and nesting places for the birds. Nebuchadnezzar is living with a constant reminder of how important he is. Everything he says, that's what people do. There's a lot of achievement. It's an amazing city. But listen, there's no acknowledgement. There's no dependence on God. No dependence on God that every breath that he takes, every time he breathes, it is a gift from God. There's none of that. There's no sense in Nebuchadnezzar's life that one day he has to give an account of his life of being either a good steward or a bad steward over this city, this great empire that he has built. A church leader many centuries ago named Gregory the Great wrote, Pride makes me think that I am the cause of my achievements and that I deserve my abilities, and it leads me to despise other people that don't measure up. One of my favorite stories about this is a guy who was a CEO of a huge corporation, and he was out driving one day with his wife, and they pulled into a service station to get gas. And he went inside to get something to drink, and when he comes out of the service station, he notices that his wife is engaged in a quite animated conversation with a service station attendant. And they get in the car and they drive away and then they start talking. And it turns out that she actually knew the guy at the service station who owned it. They used to date back when they were in high school. And the CEO, as he's driving away and driving down the road, he gets kind of cocky in that moment. And he looks over at his wife and he says, I bet I'll know what you're thinking. I bet you're thinking that you're lucky that you married me, the CEO of a great corporation, and not a service station attendant. And she says, no, honey, actually I was thinking if I had married him and not you, he'd be the CEO of a great corporation, and you'd be a service station attendant. <laughs> See, there's this illusion inside of us. I made myself who I am. So here's the question. Are you ever slow to acknowledge your limitations, your dependence on a holy God? Do you ever forget that whatever abilities you have, and I'm going to tell you, there's some people in this world who have impressive ability, that every one of those, not to mention all the other parts of your life, are just gifts from God. Do you ever find yourself motivated to just kind of make people around you kind of Remind them that you're the one in control. You ever seek power and influence and praise just for the sake of receiving it? See, the irony is this, is that Daniel pronounces 
the response to this dream, the conclusion of this dream. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar that his career is going to be kind of detoured by a prolonged bout of insanity. And the truth is, Nebuchadnezzar was spiritually insane for a long time. But now God's going to have to act. Now Nebuchadnezzar, through his own decisions and his own choices in life, is going to have to be humbled. Pride has become woven into his way of thinking. So Nebuchadnezzar goes under what one author has called the spiritual discipline of being interrupted. And Daniel does this amazing thing. This is an amazing verse in this book. He gives the dream. He gives the interpretation. But instead of stopping and saying, see you in this saint asylum, king, he looks at this king and he says, O king Nebuchadnezzar, please listen to me. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past by being merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. This is so rich and so good. When he says do what's right, it literally could be translated do justice. And it includes, interestingly enough, the fair distribution of resources in his kingdom. Partly it is an economic term. What he's doing here is Daniel is now addressing King Nebuchadnezzar's use of his power and his wealth. Daniel does not say, hey, king, keep living the way that you're living, but theoretically, theologically, from your mind, I want you to honor God and acknowledge that there is a holy God. Now, that's part of it, obviously. But Daniel goes a step further, and he says, listen, that's not just what God wants is your mental assent. He wants you to actually begin putting your money where your mouth is. Now Daniel is messing with how much money is going to be put into the hanging gardens. How many more walls are going to be built around the city? This is not just about Nebuchadnezzar changing the name of the God that he's worshiping. Of course it includes that. But now the main thing that Nebuchadnezzar is called to is servanthood. Now he's being asked to serve people especially people that God loves so much who have so little. Anytime your life is detoured, friends, it is never an excuse for you to be prideful and to hold back your resources. That is the moment in life to be humble and to freely give and say, can I serve you? What an amazing, amazing example Daniel is here. This leads us to the final thought, and we'll close with this. When your dreams are detoured, will you find meaning in the midst of your struggle? Will you find God in the midst of your struggle? Researchers have known this fact for many years, but the factor that causes most people in life to give up is not when their suffering gets more intense, it's when they believe that their suffering has no meaning or purpose behind it. In other words, it's not the intensity of your suffering, it's the meaninglessness of your suffering. They find that when often they read suicide notes, very rarely do they speak of failing health or rejection or finances. They usually say things like, there's no point in living, there's no reason for me to keep going on. But Daniel was able to discover something in Babylon, listen, that he would never have known 
if he had lived in Judah his entire life. He was able to discover that there was somebody else at work. There is a character in this story, more than Daniel, more than his three friends, more than Nebuchadnezzar, there is another character in this story. See if you can pick up on his name. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding and all kinds of literature and learning. Verse 9, now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Verse 2, and God delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Who's the character that keeps getting mentioned? God. The writer of the story is so convinced that God is working right from the very beginning. He knows what the Israelites did not know. He's convinced that even the defeat of Judah, even the loss of the temple that looked so tragic, was not a random, meaningless event. And God wasn't going to break his promise. God wasn't going to forget his dream. God was up to something in Babylon. As it turns out, here's what's crazy. God loved Babylon just like he did Israel. And God loved this old King Nebuchadnezzar just like he did Daniel. And I want to tell you, when you suffer, when your dream gets detoured, when your life gets detoured, the Holy Spirit of God still dwells in you. And your detour is not an accident, it is not wasted, and it's certainly not without the presence of a holy God. As we close today, I want to revisit these four questions before we pray. And I want to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to kind of prompt you, kind of speak to your heart and your mind. And here's the way I want to do this. I want to show you four more road signs different than the ones before and each of these signs is going to stand for one of the questions that we asked today. As I walk through these, I'm just going to ask you to think about which one resonates with you. Which one this morning is the Holy Spirit saying, you know, that's what you need to take away from today. That's why I got you up this morning and I brought you to church. That's the one that I wanted you to hear. Here's the first one. The first one is a caution sign. And the caution sign says just that. Hey, be aware. Is there anything in your life that's pulling you away that might cause you to betray your deepest values and commitments? Are you living just like a helpless victim of circumstances out of your control? Or will you today do what Daniel did and say, I resolve. With the Spirit's strength and help, I resolve. Here's the second one. This one's a carpool. Two more persons per vehicle. Perfect way of saying it. Are you doing life with other people? Are in this moment, or if you'll be totally honest, are you living primarily in isolation? Do you feel alone? Maybe you have a lot of people around you, but you still feel alone. Number three, a yield sign. In other words, are you willing to do what Nebuchadnezzar eventually did? Are you willing to bend your knee 
and say, God, I want to be a humble servant, especially to people who don't have as much as I may have. Would you say this morning, that's the Spirit's prompting? And finally, number four, rough road ahead. Are you willing to look for God and meaning and purpose in your struggles? Maybe the ones you're going through right now or maybe the ones that you're looking out on and saying, boy, this is coming down the road. Are you willing today? Is the Spirit saying to you, listen, God's still in those struggles. God's still in that fight. God's still in that dream. God's still working in Babylon. I want to give you 10 seconds here to think about those four. There they are. And here's what we're going to do. Just as kind of a step and a show of faith, I want to pray a prayer for all of these. But here's how I'd like to do it. I'd like to first ask those of you who say that this morning, the one that resonates the most with me is a caution one. I'm going to ask you to stand first. Okay? If that's the one that resonates with you today, are you being pulled? Are you in a dilemma, a choice that's having to be made? I'm going to ask you to stand. Or if you today would say, you know, I just feel like I'm doing life by myself. I really need to be connected with others. I need to get out of my comfort zone and I need to really connect. I'm going to ask you if you would stand now. Or three, you would say, are you willing to bend your knee in humility? If you would say today, I'd like the Spirit to work with me so I can be a more humble servant. Okay? I'm going to ask you to stand. And finally, if you would say, I have a rough road. I'm facing some, some bumps, I'm facing some challenges. But I'm willing, I'm willing to look for God even in the midst of those struggles. Okay? All right, here we go. For those of you with number one, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. To stand. Those of you with number two, you would say, I want to be connected to others. Stand. Those of you who would say, number three, yield. I need to be humble and be a servant. And number four, whatever the road looks like, I want to find God in that struggle. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you now to bring your spirit, your power to bear on the lives of your people. I pray for those who are being torn and pulled and they feel like today that they've Maybe they've lost their strength. They've lost the fight. I pray that you would help them resolve in their heart, determine in their heart, help them to remember their name, remember their name, that they're a child of God. They're not a helpless victim of this world. And may they not betray their deepest, deepest values. I pray for those who are lonely today or who are walking through life alone that they would take a step of courage and faith and reach out. I pray for all of us that we would be mindful of people around us who may be feeling alone. Help us to remember that the greatest disease that is rampant in Babylon is loneliness and isolation. Give us friends. Bring people into our life who we can sharpen them and they can sharpen us. I pray, Father, also for those who would say today, I need to yield. I need to let go of my agenda. 
I need to stop looking over my great accomplishments and achievements and patting myself on the back. And I need to realize that every good and perfect gift comes from you, God. And I need to do justice in this world. I need to reach out and help those who are less fortunate, who, who don't have everything that I have. I pray, God, that we would just bend our knee as Nebuchadnezzar did. And finally, I pray for those that maybe are going through rough road right now or maybe one to come, that at no point in time would they ever lose hope. At no point would they ever despair to the point that they could not see you and find meaning and purpose in the midst of their struggle. May they remember the story of Daniel and how Daniel thrived in Babylon even though he was detoured from his original dream. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.